Thank you for that warm welcome. Hey, folks. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, my wife and I are, you know, they used to refer to us as back row Baptists, but we're usually back in the, back in the corner hanging out, and I like to keep my eyes on things. Uh, but man, it's just been so great to be here, and thanks for, uh, thanks for being here this Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, my wife, Christina, and I, uh, we've been a part of Victory Point, I think, since February, and uh, we've actually been in this series with you, and uh, today is week five of a seven-part series called Practicing His Presence, and if you missed any of the previous ones, I would encourage you, go to the victorypoint.org website and uh, take a look there. You can catch up on any messages that you might have missed. It's, it's been a great series, and I'm super excited about today trying to help us have a better understanding of uh, less uh, and, and not so much about like good principles for life or you know, good things that would be nice to see on your fake book feed, written in cursive. These, we're not talking about like really good principles in life, but we're, we're actually talking about practices. And, and that these are practices that if we implement them, it will actually transform how we live, who we are, what we do. It'll affect not only us, but it'll affect everybody around us. So I'm super excited, and I'm really excited about how practical this series has been. Uh, for me, I need practical. I'm not picking on any of you, but I, I'm a fairly practical guy, and I, I need that. So uh, this series is actually inspired by a, a, a guy named John Ortberg who wrote this book. Has anybody read this book yet? I know Matt and Brendan have, people have been talking about it. It's a great book. Uh, I actually had the privilege of being on staff with John uh, back in the 90s at Willow Creek when he wrote this book. And I got to tell you, it was, it was incredible to sit under his... He was like woodshedding all the material for this book. And to sit under his teaching and be taught by him, was it was just an incredible experience. And uh, although I was a Christian and had already been in ministry a few years at the time... It was really the first time in my life that somebody got super practical and taught me what it is to train to be a follower of Christ versus trying to be a follower of Christ. He got super practical, and it's been, it's been an incredible privilege for me to be able to look back and uh, have had that experience, and uh, even this week preparing has just reminded me so much of that time. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, he couldn't be here this week, uh, so you are stuck with me. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, last week, Matt talked uh, to us about the practice of celebration. Uh, we talked about joy, and I loved that video and the pictures that we saw of Arlene. Everybody remember that? If you weren't here, you got to hear the story. Go back to victorypoint.org and check out the message. It was, it was awesome. He talked about Arlene and as we said before, Christina and I are newbies around here, and we didn't get the privilege to, to get to know Arlene, but just hearing uh, you guys tell stories about her got me thinking of my own grandmother. And I remember very similar experience uh, seeing my grandmother like this. She, she took me, uh, I won't say I volunteered, but she took me. Things were a little bit different back then. Uh, grandparents told us what to do, and we actually did it. Um, <laughs> 
So uh, she tells me uh, we're going to go to the nursing home. And, uh, and I sat there. Now, something a little bit about my past is uh, I actually was a classically trained musician. And so my job was really important at the nursing home for my grandmother to sing and play. My job was to sit next to her and turn the pages, right? Because that's what classically trained musicians do, right? My grandmother, uh, in those moments of singing, I mean, and it was awkward and I felt really uncomfortable, uh, but she was teaching me about what it meant to be a servant. She was teaching me about the idea of, of practicing service, practicing servanthood. And that's, that's where we kick off today. And I'm so excited to be able to continue on in this series. Uh, and this week we're focusing on practicing service or servanthood. So I got to warn you, I said before that uh, we're going to get super practical. Um, the entire series, again, isn't so much that you would have more information. Today we're going to look, on, look at how to do this. Like, how should we actually be doing this? Uh, how can we implement these practices in our lives so that we act and look more like Jesus? Because if we're honest with ourselves, and if I'm honest with you, each of us really struggles with selfishness. Most of us, most, I don't want to pick on everybody, but most of us, this does not come naturally. Most of us, like me, struggle big time with selfishness. Now, that's not something we would put on Facebook, right? Uh, we probably wouldn't post pictures of, uh, of the great parking spot in front of Target that we gave up for the mom with the four kids and the minivan and all the stuff that falls out. We probably wouldn't post pictures of that or... Uh, we probably wouldn't put pictures of the, the great seats on the bus that we gave up for the older couple, right? We wouldn't do that because there's actually a term for that uh, on social media. It's called the humble brag, right? We wouldn't do that. If, if we were to do that, or if you were to do that, and I saw it on your Facebook feed or your Instagram, I'd probably be secretly hoping that somebody called you on it and made some negative comment, and then I wouldn't have had to have said it, but I would have been thinking it the whole... And, and, is this... No? Is it just me? Seriously? No? Okay. There's the name in. Thanks, Lynn. All right. So before we jump in, I don't want to overlook the fact that today is the day before Memorial Day. And we have this opportunity uh, this weekend to celebrate. And it's more than great weather that we had yesterday, probably not so much today. It's more than hot dogs uh, we get to celebrate, and tomorrow is the day we honor and celebrate those that have sacrificed their lives for our freedoms, the brave men and women that lost their lives while serving in our military. They deserve our thanks and our respect, and for those of you that have lost family members or friends while defending our country, we want to say thank you. I realize that in today's highly politicized culture, your voice and your pain is often overlooked. So for those of us that haven't experienced loss like this, it's really important that we be reaching out people to say thanks. And so as we get going, I'd love for us to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we pray for those who, 
courageously laid down their lives for the cause of freedom. Uh, May the example of their sacrifice inspire us in selflessness and selfless love of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the families of our fallen troops and fill their homes and their lives with your strength and your peace and your comfort. In union with people of goodwill of every nation, I pray you would embolden us to answer the call to work for peace and justice and seek an end to violence and the conflict around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. You know, I can't think of a better day, a better weekend, to be talking about Jesus who performed the ultimate sacrifice His ultimate act of service and his entire life demonstrated servanthood all the way to the very end. Again, I said that we are going to get super practical and talk about how do we actually do this life? How do we actually demonstrate servanthood? And so um, I want us to think about that because I, I won't want us to just know how to do it. I want us to begin practicing it. I want it to transform our lives. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer. Right? This is the worst thing you can do as a speaker is start your talk by just giving people the answer because then I could get up and walk away. Uh, But I'm going to do it. If we want to act and look more like Jesus, this this is not rocket surgery here, okay? If we want to act and look more like Jesus, then we should take a look at his life and we should do the things that he did. Does that make sense? Right? So today we're going to take a look at his life and we're going to do the things that he did. So let's jump in the text for this week. Um, In the book of Mark, here's the setup. In the book of Mark, this is happening before the crucifixion. Uh, You know, they're starting to get ready for the Passover meal. And so um, we see James and John, and they're kind of in this argument about who's going to be at the right and the left-hand side of Jesus, right? And they're, they're getting a little heated, and so Jesus takes the moment and he corrects them, and he says, hey guys, what is about to happen, you don't want any part of. Like, Jesus knows what's happening, and if, if you fast forward, you know what it means to be on the right and the left of Jesus as he goes to the cross. So here, pick up with me at Mark 10, starting at verse 41. When the ten, that's the other folks that were in the room with him, heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, hey, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I can only imagine that this is one of many, many opportunities that Jesus took to get in his disciples, his apprentices, these friends of his that he'd been doing life with and pouring into. And he corrects them, and he's like, hey, 
this is not how you are supposed to act. Uh, look, and it says, whoever wants to be great among you will be the servant. And whoever wants to be first, some translations say, must be last, the servant or slave. So I think for me, maybe it is the case for you, is uh, it's kind of a hard concept for us to get. And we see in Scripture it was hard for them to get as well. Here's the king of kings, the Messiah, God in the flesh, and he's telling his disciples and he's telling us, I'm actually here to serve. And I know we've heard this over and over and we kind of know where it's going, but can you imagine what it was like for them in that moment? Here's this, this person that they've been doing life with This is one of those mind-blowing, flip-the-script-on-culture kinds of things that Jesus was famous for. So what he's telling his apprentices, these people that he's been pouring into for these years, he's telling them, in order to lead a world-transforming movement, you need to assume the position of a servant, the posture of, of a servant. And I think ultimately that's where we start with our how-tos today. I would propose to you today that the king of the universe in all of his glory chose to reign and rule in his time here on earth on his knees. Literally, not just figuratively, but literally on his knees. Throughout the Gospels, we see example, and if you don't know this, the Gospels are, are the books, the first few books of the, of the New Testament that were written by some of the people that were closest to Jesus. And in the gospel, we, Gospels, we see lots of examples of Jesus getting on his knees and displaying this posture, but I, I, I want to give you an example. So uh, earlier in the book of Mark, before this whole incident with James and John happens, We see that Jesus was teaching, and all of these people were bringing little kids to Jesus. They wanted him to bless them and put his hands on them. And and the the disciples, the apprentices of Jesus, are all standing around him. And and it it was bothering them. They're like, you know, leave him alone. So they actually go over there, and they're trying to shoo all the kids away and get the parents and Whoever was dumping these kids on Jesus, he was, he was trying to push them away. And Jesus is like, ah, hang on a second. And Jesus actually, like, gets down with the kids. He gets on his knees. And he pulls the kids around him. And then he does something, and he, I, hope, I hope you get what he's doing to us today. As, as he's pulling the kids around him, he looks back at his disciples, and he says, come here. And so here's Jesus with the kids around him and the disciples around them. Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God and how unless, and I can imagine him looking his disciples in the face saying, unless we get like them, you are going to miss out on what God has for you. And so then he hugs lays hands on and blesses and prays over the kids and sends them off. There's another instance in Scripture where we find Jesus on his knees. And to be honest, it's probably the hardest story for me to 
to hear or read, but more so it's the hardest story for me to take from Jesus, what he's actually trying to teach me and what he's trying to teach us today. Here's the setup. Jesus and the disciples, including James and John before, they were actually getting ready to celebrate Passover. Passover is a, is a really big deal. It's bigger uh, for their culture at the time. It's, it's bigger than what we would consider you know, Christmas and Easter. This was, a, this was a celebratory meal. It was an event that was celebrating how God had passed over his chosen people. And it's very symbolic. It's a big, big deal in their culture. Still is in the Jewish culture today. And so Jesus is about to have Passover meal with these men and probably their family members as well that were were on this journey with him. And they get this rented room and they go... And they start to prepare for dinner. Now, these are Jesus' disciples who have, they've been with him through all kinds of stuff. They've seen him heal people and do all kinds of miracles and pray over people. They've seen who he really is. And we know from Scripture, at this point, like in their life, they have an understanding that he's actually the Messiah. These are his friends, his family, if you will. He knows it's the last time they're going to have this meal together. They don't know it, but he knows it, right? This is a big deal. Side question. Step away from the story for a second. Anybody have any idea what sanitation was like in Jerusalem over 2,000-something years ago? Anybody? Like, if you've seen, like, the worst conditions in the slums of India or, you know, like, open sewer systems or whatever, think worse than that. Uh, Smells much worse than that. People, animals, sewage, all over the place. That's... That's what, you know, it, was, it wasn't like a nice, pretty, lush area. If you've seen pictures, there weren't a lot of trees. It's dirt. It's rocks. All right? So keep that in mind when we get to the rest of the story. Here's this potentially gross environment that they're in. Just a nice way to say it. So Jesus, knowing that this is his last time with them, and even that one of them had already betrayed him, gets up from his place of honor at the table, takes off his clothes, and again, gets on his knees. He gets on his knees because what he starts to do is to wash the filth off the feet of his disciples. I can't imagine what was going through their heads. Peter, one of the other disciples, freaks out and is like, no, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus catches him and is like, hey, you don't understand what I'm doing here. Jesus even washes the feet of Judas, 
who he knows has actually betrayed him for money. So let's look at the scripture. In John 13, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So in 2002, Christina and I got married. By the way, that's my wife, Christina, my much, much better half. Um, We got married, and on our honeymoon, uh, we went on a cruise. Anybody, any cruisers in here? Okay. So we realized very quickly on our very first cruise, but that is going to be the way that we were going to vacation. Um. We, we like to, un- it was fortunately and unfortunately, our very first cruise, like the Backstreet Boys were on our, on our cruise. We didn't, we didn't know, it. we pulled up and the porters like, hey, do you guys like the Backstreet Boys? We're like, no. It's like, oh, well, they're on this ship. So we didn't know. But anyway, it was a Disney cruise and they were doing a thing and, and, and Disney does it upright. That's not a commercial for Disney, by the way, if you're listening online. Um, so... Um, so we realize quickly that we really love cruising. They, they go out of their way to take care. If you've never been on a cruise, uh, you, you kind of have to experience it yourself. But they, they just take care of you. They, they do everything for you. They turn down your bed. They put towel animals. They, you know, there's food and everything's included. And you unpack once, but you get to go to all these different places. And it's just, it's awesome. Since then, we've been on 20-something cruises, right? So we're kind of hooked. Um, We may have a problem. Um, I'm Bob, and I'm a cruiseaholic. So um, here's something. Probably it was like the second or third cruise that we were on um, changed us. Changed us big time. Uh, It was like the second or third day of the cruise and in our room was this young Filipino man. He was our cabin attendant. And he was the one who was making the towel animals and cleaning up after us and turning down our beds and uh, really taking great care of us. His name was Ricardo. And, and, uh, and he was in the room, and we were getting ready to go. I don't know where we were going. But we were going somewhere. And he notices the Bible that was on uh, my nightstand. And his whole countenance changed. Now, you got to know, these people, like, they're professionals at customer service. They're trained to, like, keep their cool and, every, you know, they, they're really good at what they do. And he was amazing. But, he, like, his whole composure just totally changed. And within a matter of minutes, you know, he's asking questions about the Bible and about us. And we told him that we're followers of Jesus and that I'm a pastor. And within just a few minutes, he's literally, like, pawing it was, it was weird and it was uncomfortable, uh, but he was literally pawing on me and like trying to touch me and hug me. 
and I really didn't understand what was happening at the time. It totally made me uncomfortable. But what happened was, is I realized that he and about four or five other of his Filipino friends were really some of the only believers that were on the crew. And this ship has over a thousand crew members. And he and his brothers in Christ were trying to walk with Jesus. In, a, in their staff environment, can, it's kind of a party place for them as well as the customers that are there. Uh, it's kind of, uh, spiritually, it's a hard place to keep your walk with Christ. And in that moment of vulnerability that he had with us, it changed the way that we look at the staff of the ship. It changed the way we do vacations. It changed the way that actually his impact on our life really uh, is still affecting us today. Uh, We now, like when we go on vacation, like we try to spend more time building relationships with the staff members than we do other other guests on the ship. Uh, We've got friends all over the world now because of what Ricardo did. He kind of broke us for cruising, or he redirected, um, I wrestle with saying this, I'm about to say something, I am not cussing in church, I promise you, and I don't give anybody permission to use the alternative, but uh, if you spelled the word O-S-H-I-P as in Paul, it was an, it was an O-ship moment for us in, in our life and in our walk with Christ and in our vacation, it literally, like, how he, how he impacted us changed even the way that we live in our neighborhood right now. We, uh, we're very intentional. Matt talked about our neighborhood, and we don't live in the same neighborhood now, but uh, in our neighborhood, we're very intentional about seeking people out and trying to build a family, and we call our neighbors our family, our friends that feel like family. It it, it impacts everything we do. Um, it has changed uh, how we shop and where we hang out. Uh, we hang out at this little cafe up the street from our house, and we intentionally try to build relationships, like, like missional-type relationships. And we try to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the places that we live and work and play. And a lot of it is due to how Ricardo kind of messed with us. Um, it's the reason that uh, I now serve as the, the chaplain of the Park Township Fire Department. I have the opportunity to serve those firefighters, those brave men and women that are serving you. And, and just the whole idea of our hearts and minds being changed, our attitudes, our, our posture, when we step into things, it's, it's changed radically. And I, I thank Ricardo for that. So maybe there's someone or some situation in your life that you're thinking, you know what, I, I probably need to be demonstrating a better posture. Maybe there's someone or a situation in your life where you need to get on your knees, maybe figuratively or maybe literally. Maybe uh, if you did that, it would affect your marriage or your family or your house. Maybe your neighborhood needs you to take the posture of a servant. Maybe your workplace or your school, the teams, the things that you do for fun, maybe those people need you to take the posture of a servant. Jesus showed us that, and we can follow him in that.
Second thing I want us to see in the how is we do it on our knees and we do it in community. Later in the New Testament, we see followers of Jesus trying to do life and figuring out how to get along and who should do what. And, uh, you know, this is their now post-Jesus life, and they're trying to figure out how to do life. And so look with me in the book of Romans, chapter 12. This is Paul writing. He says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function... So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God gave each of the followers of Jesus then, as just like he does now, he gives gifts that supernaturally equip and empower us to build up and encourage the church or our faith family. Then and now, he does the same thing. And I say supernatural because I'm talking about things that are beyond your own ability. This is not just stuff that you're good at. This is, uh, this is a supernatural amount of giftedness. I was excited. Uh, I don't know who sent out the e-news. Did anybody get the e-news this week? Yes? No? All right. Did anybody do the spiritual gifts uh, test that was in there? Anybody? Anybody? Don't look, Matt. Don't look. So, we're all going to do it this week, right? We're going to go back and look in our junk or our inbox or whatever, and we're going to click that link and we're going to do our spiritual gifts assessment. So, anyway, I was excited about it. Uh, if you didn't do it, I would encourage you to go back and look at it and try it. Uh, it's, it's really good, both in helping you understand how you are gifted to serve in the faith community and how you're not gifted to serve in the faith community. I'm going to pretend Matt's not here for a second, all right? This is just us girls. I have seen pastors get up in settings like this and try to guilt and shame people into serving I've seen people try to get, you know, people to volunteer for the kids' ministry, kids' zone. Um, And what happens is, uh, if you guilt and shame people into doing that, you actually end up with a pretty bad situation. You have somebody, potentially, that is not gifted serving in an area where they could potentially do some damage. So this person who's not gifted goes there. It kind of messes them up. It could burn them out. It could also be bad for the volunteers, other volunteers who have to work with this person who is obviously not the right fit. And then more so, it's bad for the kids, right? It's bad for the kids. Those kids could be being served by someone who loves them and is really gifted and passionate about helping them become more like Jesus. Now, I'm really excited to say I've never seen Matt or Brendan or anybody do that here. And that's one of the things that we're excited about. And I'm glad we're talking about service today. Knowing what your gifts are and what they're not, what you should be doing in the body of Christ and what you shouldn't be doing is really great. So, for example, uh, if 
you don't like people, some of you, I think, don't like people, uh, if you don't like people or like being around people, don't be a greeter, right? We want greeters that like people and like talking to people and making people feel welcome, right? That's, that's what greeters need to do, right? Okay, does that make sense? This is, again, this is not rocket surgery. All right, so knowing your gifts will help you identify the places where you should and you shouldn't be serving. Um, here's the deal. You should... Hear me on this. You should be able to see when someone is operating in their gifts as clearly as when you see someone who is not. It's kind of the litmus test. You should be able to see when someone is operating in their gifts as clearly as when you see someone who isn't. One thing that we love about Victory Point is how much it feels like a family. It's one of the first things that we noticed we came here. Uh, it's also one of the things that brought us back. And we're not from here. Christina's from Germany, and I'm from Florida, and we're outsiders. Uh, it's, it's, you know, part of the reason uh, that we're so intentional about building family in our neighborhood. We're, we're seeking family. We're seeking that. And uh, I love that, that victory point. People are intentional about that. But I'll tell you, as a newbie, uh, it's tough. Not being from West Michigan... You know, we've, we've felt that, that culture rub. Um, and you feel it anytime you come into a new place, and it happens in a church as well. So I love that some of you have been intentional, and we're being intentional too. So in addition to, like, uh, discovering your spiritual gifts, I was excited when I heard that uh, Brendan and the team are doing this calling lab. And I probably should have asked your permission before saying this, but Christina signed up for the calling lab. She's She's been wrestling with this. I'm, now I'm talking about you, so sorry. It's too late. To, is this okay? <laughs> Husband and pastor fail, 101. Don't do this. Sorry. Uh, okay. So uh, that's, we're family, right? So, you know, Christina has been wrestling with this calling. She feels, I feel, and, you know, a lot of us feel like there's something that God is is wanting to, to birth in her this vision. And how cool is it that there's a place like the Calling Lab to, to get people around you that can, you know, help talk you through it and wrestle with you. Uh, you know, that's just, that's incredible. So uh, thanks for doing that. And I'm excited you're doing that. And uh, it's a great, great thing. Uh, so one thing I have learned in my 25-ish years of ministry is that if you try to do this all alone, Chances are you're going to fail. Uh, this week, Christina and I were at Albert K's, which is our, that's our little cafe that we hang out. And uh, in the back, uh, Ellen, who's the owner, she's a part of our family, uh, she was whistling. And that uh, got me thinking about the Andy Griffith show. Anybody remember the Andy Griffith show? I wondered if that was going to happen. How many of you are like, what are they doing and why? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, just show of hands so we know who's in the room. How many of you actually remember the Andy Griffith show? Whether in its original airing or in reruns, right? Okay, all right, so quite a few of us. That whistling, if you're not familiar with it, that whistling was actually the theme song. And once you hear it, it's totally stuck in your head. It's an earwig. You can't get rid of it. But... 
I remember some of those characters. You remember the characters. You know, Andy, who was the, he's the fearless leader, and Barney, who was the kind of Barney. <laughs> he's kind of this clumsy, goofy, if you know Don Knotts, he's kind of the same character in every show. Um, and there was Opie. Uh, Opie, the little, I want to call him Opie Cunningham, but Opie, uh, Opie Taylor, who's the son, uh, redheaded. My favorite was actually Otis. Anybody remember Otis? Okay, I'll just say this. I didn't grow up in the church, and I thought Otis was funny. He was actually the town drunk, and he was my favorite character. Uh, but there's one character that really stands out to me when I think about maybe you two. Aunt B, right? Remember Aunt B? Aunt B was the sweetest little lady, right? And she was the mom of Andy, and she took care of Andy and the boys down at the station. She was always doing something. As a kid who was kind of a latchkey kid, divorced parents, for whatever reason, I really grabbed a hold of Aunt B. And, and honestly, her hospitality, the way that she loved and served people in her life, somehow watching it actually made me feel loved and cared for. She just, she was that, it was electric when you would watch her. But there was this one episode that broke my heart. There was a major event that was happening in town and somehow through the ladies guild, she ended up being in charge of it. And so she was doing everything she could. Literally, she was doing everything. She was doing all the work. She was trying to manage all the logistics. She was trying to do everything. And very quickly, she started letting everyone down. It was all falling apart. She was trying to do everything on her own. Rather than delegating or getting other people to help, she felt like she had to do it all. And it broke my heart. I mean, this is the first time I saw Aunt B cry, you know. And again, this whatever weird connection I had with her on the TV, like seeing her cry, I was like, no, my heart is broken. And looking back on it now, it's like she was trying to do everything on her own. And the more she tried, the more she let people down. And maybe you can relate to that in some way. Maybe you've been an Aunt B or tried to be an Aunt B and failed miserably. Or maybe you've had an Aunt B in your life that's let you down. Here's the good news for us is this church, this faith community, none of us are asked to be an Aunt B. This whole spiritual gifts thing, this, this whole life, this whole faith community thing, we get to do this together and each of us has a role to play and we need each other to make it work right. We don't need it. Matt is not in charge of everything, Right? He might be the one that's responsible for overseeing, but there's things that we have to do, and we need to do our roles. So uh, I realize at this point that Brendan, a couple weeks ago, you thought you were going to get away with nobody calling you out. Brendan, a couple of weeks ago, talked to us about the practice of lament. Anybody remember that? Okay, if you didn't catch that one, you also need to go to the website and listen to it. But he talked about how it's actually okay to complain to God. Now, when it comes to being a faith family, it's very possible that some of the things that we complain about... All right, I'm, gonna, I'm a new guy, so I'm just going to say this, right? 
Sometimes in church, we complain about things, even things that happen or don't happen the way that we think they should in the church. It's very easy to do that. I've seen it. Unfortunately, I've been a part of it. But here's the deal. As Brendan reminded us, it's okay to complain to God, but watch out because it's very possible that that thing that is bothering you or continues to bother you, God might actually want you to do something about it. Ouch. Yeah. So A, be careful what you complain about, but two, I would say be sensitive. If God... Like, if there's something bothering you, maybe God wants you to actually, rather than pointing out the problem, maybe he wants you to be a part of the solution. So my new friend Paul and I were talking out in the lobby. I met he and his uh, wife Carrie last week. And if you've never heard his stories about Alaska, you need to ask him. Uh, It's incredible the things that God is doing in and through his family in Alaska. But I want you to think about this. He and I talked about this. If God is calling you to do something, it's very possible that you might think, man, I am not, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented, I'm not, I'm not whatever. God doesn't call those that are already qualified. God qualifies those that he is calling to do something. Remember, this is a supernatural thing that he's asking us to do. This is a supernatural gifting that God is giving us. The truth is, I am selfish. Truth is, I am not qualified. But the good news is that because I have a personal relationship with Jesus and because I've received the free gift of grace that he offers me, I now have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And God has supernaturally empowered me to do things beyond my own ability, beyond my own selfishness. And for those of you that have also made that decision, the same is true for you, which leads me to my last point. How do we do this? We do this on our knees, in community, and we do this with Jesus. So, does anybody know the number two thing that most people are afraid of in life? Number two. Close. Death. Good job, honey. Number two thing that people are afraid of in life is death. Anybody know what the number one thing is? that Public speaking. Through logical deduction, we can deduce that people would rather die (laughs) than get up here in a setting like this and and talk, uh, let alone talk in front of people who have been Christians longer than them or smarter than them. Uh, Again, this this is a supernatural thing. It's because of what Jesus has done and is doing in my life that I'm standing here able to talk to you today. Without him in my life, I would be a wreck. And I certainly was a wreck. You can ask my wife. She probably still thinks I am a wreck. It's because of what he's done. So if you're here and you're thinking that you want to experience the the kind of, of life 
and the kind of sacrificial love that only Jesus can give and that you want him to not only forgive you but to equip you and empower you to live the kind of life you've always dreamt of? Right here in community, flourishing as he supernaturally works through you, today's the day. Today's a great day. If you've ever uh, wanted to ask Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life, this is a great day to do it. Today you can receive the free gift of grace offered by God in a relationship with his son Jesus. It's because of a relationship with Jesus that you receive spiritual gifts. He imparts to us for equipping us and empowering us to serve. If those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, you've been given a spiritual gift and he wants you to use them. So as the band leads us in the next song, uh, what I'd love for us to pray about, are we making a call in an audible? Okay. All right. So the band's going to lead us in a song. What I want you to consider is if you've never made that decision, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life, then today we want to offer you the opportunity to do that. If you want him to be the leader of your life and you want to be used by him to make an impact on the world around you, we want that for you. So during this song, you could simply pray and ask God and tell him that you need him, that you want him, and you want what he did on the cross to apply to your life. That you want him to lead you. You want those gifts so that you can make an impact on the world around you. And you do it in your own words. Say it however you need to say it. And then if you already are a follower of Jesus... What do your knees look like? Do people say your knees look like Jesus' knees? Do the people here in this community see you as someone who is serving and giving? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Are you using them? Do you need to maybe go to the calling lab? Maybe there's some area uh, in the church that you know that you've been wanting to or needing to, or maybe God's calling you to serve. Or maybe even something outside of the church. Maybe there's something in your neighborhood or there's something God's been calling you to do and you know it. Today is a great way to respond. And so as we close in song, take this moment and reflect. If you decide today that you want to become a follower of Jesus and you want to surrender your life to him, And we want to pray with you. So if you do that today, come up to us afterwards and talk to us. If you want somebody to pray with you, if you want somebody to talk to and somebody to begin wrestling with this, over in the back corner, there's this prayer corner. We want to invite you to come. Come and let us talk and pray with you. So, Father, as we close in song... We ask, God, have your way in us right now. Come, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. For those of us that need to lay down ourselves before you, I pray that you would provoke us, speak to our hearts, hear our prayer. For those of us that need to not only know what you did and how you did it, but actually 
begin doing it in our own lives, I pray that you would provoke us, Father. Help us to be more like you as we practice servanthood, as we practice service. Speak to us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.